0: Hello, and welcome to the second chapter. I'm your host, Kristen Duffy. It has been a crazy August, but I'm really excited to share next season's incredible women who have changed their lives and careers after 35. Regular programming resumes at our usual Tuesday, 7 a.m. slot on the 20th of September. But first, I have one more Women of the Fringe interview that I'm so excited to share with you. This week, I'm speaking with Clara Harris of Swamp Witch Studio. Clara took her live audio drama, This Moment in America, to this year's Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Seeking a deeper conversation, This Moment in America features ever-changing vignettes drawn from real stories across the U.S., interwoven with transcripts of current events. It asks, what unites us in these United States? And Clara's Fringe outing was just the beginning. Clara and I talk about this moment the issue of guns in America, and more, as well as how her acting career teetered on the edge of a cliff once she hit 40, and what she's doing about it.
1: The idea is just to create that space where we can sit down and we can disagree, and we can get to a point where we can at least agree to disagree, and we can acknowledge one another's humanity, that we've had our own experiences that have brought us to this place.
0: Hi, Clara. Thanks for joining me for the second chapter. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. So... Normally on the second chapter, as regular listeners know, we always chat with people, women, who are 35 plus, who have had changes to their lives and careers. And I think a lot of times as a rule, it's something like, I was a CEO and now I'm an astronaut. (laughs) Clara, your changes have not been quite as dramatic, but you certainly have seen change and have adapted to what it means to be an actor, first of all. So tell me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, it's funny that you used the example of astronaut, because that is the only other thing I've really ever wanted to be was an astronaut. (laughs) And then I found out you had to be good at math, which I was not. So I self-selected out of that dream and decided I would just
0: act like an astronaut in some project one day. Have not yet gotten there. That's so funny, not to interrupt you right from the start, but You always hear, only become an actor if you can't imagine anything else you'd ever want to be. And I always use the example that I want to be a million things, but I'm not ever going to be an astronaut so I can maybe get the chance someday to act like one. <laughs> exactly,
1: yes. <laughs> and I think actually that's part of the reason actors are so good at adapting because we do fit ourselves into these other characters to, to live out these other lives in some way, shape or form as we're working on a project. And yeah, we're very adaptable and very interested people quite frequently anyway. But yeah, my, my change has not been nearly that dramatic. Started out as an actor and part of it honestly is I've never been in a major mar- market. I've always been based outside of New York, Chicago, LA.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And so that has, I was going to say limited my options in some way that I wish I could think off the top of my head about some better words, more positive words around that. But the fact is, it is more limiting for a variety of reasons. And so there is this sense of, okay, how else can I approach this if this isn't working? Early on in my career, I was just happy to be doing anything remotely connected to theater. And so that meant a lot of teaching summer theater camps and eventually doing a lot of in-school residencies, teaching theater topics or using theater to teach other things, um, like I did a residency with a school, there were two things. One was adaptation, the science topic of adaptations with elementary school. And then the fourth graders were doing an immigration unit, learning about the push pull of why people leave a home country, why they would come to the United States. So we used theater as a way to explore the topics they were learning in their social studies or science class, depending on which grade we were talking about. So I was very happy doing all of that, getting shows occasionally because I understood as an actor, I'm not going to be working every day the way someone who gets up and goes to a salaried job in an office or whatever. And I was quite happy with that, actually. Early on, I was touring with a theater company and we were in Charlotte, North Carolina. We were staying close to downtown and I was up early walking around downtown and seeing everybody come to the offices and looking in the office buildings. And the city was waking up as people were arriving at work. And I remember looking in those buildings and looking at those people in business suits and thinking, that looks miserable. I don't ever (laughs) want to do that. (laughs) So just even though I was not terribly happy, actually, With the conditions of that tour, I was much happier in the unpleasant conditions of that tour than I was going to an office every day. And in fact, anytime I've tried to find something else to do when things dried up for a little while, if anytime I diverted over into more of an office style job, it just never lasted very long because I get so bored. Um... But yeah, so I was very happy to just be in the vicinity of anything theater related. And for a long time, that made me very happy. Got my union card and that was swell. I was so excited. We moved to Louisville and I got my union card and I got married all within a couple of years. And when we moved to Louisville, the idea was we would be here for a few years and then move on probably to one of these major markets. And so Hmm. getting my equity card made a ton of sense. And then things changed with my husband's work. He's actually in theater too, but he's he's now the producing artistic director of an equity company here in town. But at the time, he was the education director of that company. But obviously, things have worked out very well for him <laughs> staying right. with that company. But consequently, it's meant that my career has been based here as well and that's provided more challenges being an actor versus being a director or educator as the primary focus of my career. It's meant a lot of driving, going up to Chicago and auditioning and all of the surrounding towns, Indianapolis, Cincinnati, Nashville, down to Atlanta, a lot of driving to theater auditions and not having a lot of luck. Part of the reason is that when those theaters, those regional theaters in these, in these <laughs> regional cities, When they hire out-of-town actors, that's a huge investment for them as part of their show budget. They have to pay not only salary and help and retirement benefits and all of this into the union, but also your per diem and your housing and some type of transportation to get you to and from the city. So bringing an equity actor in from out of town is a very expensive prospect for a theater. And generally, they're only going to spend that money on Somebody, a, a role that they cannot get in their local talent pool. Mm-hmm. And I am, at the time I was doing all of this, I was what I referred to as Milk Toast Mom through my 30s. I look like a Karen, quite honestly, to use modern nomenclature. <laughs> and so I don't, I'm aware of <laughs> a suburban white lady. And, and yeah, I don't seem to have a lot of rough edges. In fact, if anything, I tend to get called in for more masculine roles. And I think some of that is also, I have a little bit deeper voice for a woman. And so the, like my one sort of big break into the film world, I was cast in a role that was originally written as a dude. And that's happened a lot. even Actually, even growing up in the youth theater program that I participated in high school, I've always trended towards pants rolls or something along those lines. Anyway, so I was driving to all of these places and not having a lot of luck because quite frankly, they had a lot of options for my type in their local right. talent pool. And also I was not bringing the prestige of this New York actor is in our production or this Chicago actor is in our production. But the funny thing is, I served as the equity liaison for this area for a little while. And during that time, I went to a big meeting in Chicago where other area liaisons from the regions came. Obviously, the Chicago people were there. And then also some of the New York office folks were there. And the, some of the top officers of the union were there. And so we, they had us at one point, all the regional liaisons sat in the middle of the room and everybody else sat around the circle. And they had to just listen to what we were saying as we chatted about our concerns. And basically, our concerns boiled down to it's so frustrating that we live out here in the regions and we can't seem to get hired by the theaters in our regions because they're always casting from Chicago. Those of us who are closer to Chicago than New York said. And then the Chicago people, same thing. They get in the middle, and the rest of us sit around. And all the Chicago people said, "It's so frustrating that we can't get hired <laughs> in Chicago because they always bring in New York actors." Right. So clearly, this is a common problem. But nonetheless, it meant that my acting for a long time on the stage was more limited than I wished it had been. But I was doing a lot of teaching, and of uh, theater teaching, and and again. I was happy to just be close to it. I wanted more work, but I was cool because on the horizon, we were going to be moving to a bigger city. And then I got pregnant a little bit unexpectedly and I got pregnant at, a, at an awkward time in the audition cycle. It's changed quite a bit since then. But at that time, there would be these season generals. They would announce casting for most of the season. And then you wouldn't have much of an audition option until the next time season generals rolled around. And so when season generals were going on, and summer stock theater was going on. I was very pregnant, and so not really an option to so do summer stock. And also, the question that I imagine would be held around an actor who is pregnant, even though she won't be pregnant at the time, so what's gonna happen, blah, blah, blah. So I essentially missed two seasons because of the timing of when I was pregnant and not living near family and having an infant child, but then also having a kid. That meant that the minimum salary I could accept for a job went way up because we were going to have to cover childcare and some of these other things if I was out of town right. that I was covering here. So because that so narrowed my options in theater, at that same time, thank goodness, Hayman Talent, which it was this is this big agency in Cincinnati, and I had tried to get in with earlier and had not been able to get in with them, they opened a location here in Louisville. And it so happens that the agent who had opened the office here was the mother of some girls I had done plays with when we did Best Christmas Pageant together. And so I walk in, I didn't know this, I walk into the office, and it's this person who knows me already. She's, hello. So she was looking to build up her roster. I was looking to get on the roster for a prestigious agency like that. And so it was definitely a win-win situation. And then thus began a really good run of doing commercials and industrials. I stood on an Apple box and read off of a teleprompter for hours and hours of my 30s. And I was thrilled. So again, I was not getting as much work as I would have liked. But again, that comes with being in this market. So that was all fine. And but as I approached the cliff of 40, (laughs) I noticed (laughs) that the women who had been a few years ahead of me who we would often be up for the same roles together. And I often beat them out. <laughs> well done. <laughs> but I'm a teleprompter ninja. I actually have that on my special skills because I am very good on the teleprompter. And so I did get a lot of those kinds of roles. I, I have sold so many different types of things, trained crane operator, salesman, and anyway. But I noticed that these women that, that we used to compete for roles were not getting called in for the same roles
0: that Mm. I was,
1: and they weren't getting called in as frequently. And I also noticed that the people I was competing against were younger, and I was losing out to them a little bit now and again. And so I started to just step back and say, Oh, I see what's happening. I'm moving out of that really nice, young soccer mom that they want to see in some of the, the kind of work I was doing. And also noticing that in this market, once you cross that threshold of looking like you're in your 40s instead of looking like you're in your 30s, the brakes start to be pumped for your options. So that just necessitated having to start thinking about what am I going to do? And there was a little bit of panic around that. And then the I was about to say the COVID hit, the <laughs> pandemic hit. It was
0: the COVID. <laughs> the evil COVID.
1: <laughs> actually, it wasn't even COVID at first because yeah, there, there was a, a little bit of a kerfuffle around some things with the theater company that my husband, he was essentially, he was promoted actually to producing artistic director right before the COVID. But prior to that were some tumultuous years. And I began to get very nervous that that I was not in a position to bring in more income to the family. So I went off and got my yoga teacher certification. (laughs) Because I thought with my certification, I could just walk in somewhere and get a job. I could walk into a gym, get signed up to teach their yoga classes, and I'd be able to bring in some income that would help keep things afloat. And then I get my certification and realize, oh, Yoga teachers are like actors. They don't get paid very much. They're freelancers. They're hopping from one thing, one studio to the next. So there's a
0: lot fun. of them. Yes, yeah. I do feel like it's if you're an actor, what else can I do? Oh, I do a lot of mm-hmm. yoga. Or oh, I do. Mm-hmm. So there is almost, we run in the same circles, if you yep. will. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So anyway, the TLDR is I was very happy with a lot of the way things were going. And then life circumstances presented a challenge. And so I started, as well as meeting me at a time where I was transitioning from a younger type to an older type. And so it, it tossed me up in the air and I was searching for what all of this means. And then the COVID hit. So yeah, there was some, there was some tumult, some, some angst and anxiety in the two years prior to COVID. And then obviously the past two years have been challenging as yeah, well. That doesn't, as help. we've all found our footing. <laughs> yeah. The benefit is so now I've had four years to contemplate what do I want to do going forward? How do I see myself being happy with how I'm pursuing my career and what I'm putting out into the world? And certainly there's been a lot of do I just abandon the industry and do something else? And ultimately it comes back to, like you were saying earlier, We're often told, if you can think of being happy doing anything but acting, then you should do that. And I just kept coming back to, there's nothing else that sets me on fire as much as being part of this industry. But the benefit of being older, having done as many things as I've done in the industry, is now it's like, okay, so yes, I want to act, but also I want to write. And I've had some success with that. And I even started directing professionally but with professional companies this year. Yeah, this year. Time is so wibbly wobbly right now. Um, it really is. <laughs> and then, and then so for the fringe, it's stepping out with my production company, Swamp Witch Studio, which technically I've had for almost as long as I've had my son, which is 15 years and stepping out and really launching that as an official business instead of just this little side hobby that maybe we'll do something someday. So while it's not been as drastic a shift from CEO to astronaut, it's definitely been growth and development and times change too, in terms of expectations of making your own content. And that's how you get in front of the eyeballs you need to get in front of to do some of the other kinds of things you might want to do. So just adapting with the times is some of it, but also using that the wisdom of age to and also quite frankly, getting to the point where you just don't give any fucks, you've got zero fucks left to give about what anybody thinks about what you're doing to a certain extent. You do need people to buy tickets. <laughs> yeah, but well, um, that, but <laughs> yeah, just getting to a point where it's, you know what, this is what I want to do and, and screw
0: it. I'm going to figure out how to make it happen. So it's interesting you say about the cliff of 40 and how you originally started Swamp Witch to get your own work going or as an opportunity for yourself. Mm-hmm. Because I started my production company Slackline with the kind of Women over 35, because I came into the industry a bit later. I did have another career. And I feel like I stepped in right as you're seeing that because commercially, I feel like it's about 35 when they start thinking you might be a bit too old to be that soccer mom or once in the commercial world, like young mom is very young. Yes. And there is this weird cavern. I don't even know what to call it, but you said cliff. So maybe that's a good analogy. (laughs) But the like, When you're a grandmother okay, there might be some roles. Granted, they're way more limited. Mm-hmm, and when mm-hmm. you're a mom, but what's in between? Mm-hmm. And I always say it on here, people are probably so tired of hearing it, it's getting better. But yes. it does still feel like you said, there's this kind of cliff that it's, I can see there might be another side if I can just stick it out long enough. Yes. <laughs> Granted, there's people playing grandmothers at 39, because God knows oh, we're all yeah. super old by then. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I always say
1: it's, you have the falling in love and and having babies, right? So you have your Juliet roles, and then there's nothing. Apparently, women have no contribution to society or stories to tell until we're on our deathbed. <laughs> and we <laughs> utter some final wisdom. And so we have your Miss Daisy roles. So there's not a lot in between. Again, it is getting better, but we still have a long way to go.
0: And I do sure. feel like that's why there are people like us. Yes. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And that's why I really wanted to highlight some of the women at the Fringe, because you mentioned the Fringe. I think it's a scary prospect for everyone to go to Edinburgh Fringe. There's 3,500 or so shows officially in the guide, not to mention all the unofficial shows. There's the costs. (laughs) The costs. The competition, the post-COVID thing. This is the first year it's back in a major way. Mm -hmm. But this is from someone who's coming from London, who can get on a bus, get on a train. Talk to me about coming from America, <laughs> <laughs> heading to Edinburgh, and the just everything around getting something to the fringe.
1: Yeah. First of all, I hope you're not trying to get a train on the 27th, because I got an email from, is it Rail Scotland? The Scottish train system, mm-hmm. the, the strike on the 27th, which I come in the next day. I fly into Glasgow the next day. And so... I've been like, please have service on the 28th. I need to get from Glasgow to Edinburgh. But there, there's buses and I don't know. I was going to say, I'll walk it. But no, my equipment <laughs> is too heavy hard. to walk it. <laughs> <too far>. <laughs> <laughs> but that would probably take a little bit longer too. And I will have been flying for 17 hours at that point. So speaking of coming from the States, yes, it's a it's long flight to begin, especially coming from the middle of the States. That's what's so frustrating living in flyover country, because to fly out of flyover country, is very costly. So mm-hmm. when I was looking for tickets for my flight, I would I was pricing. So when you live in the middle of the country, you price your closest airport. F- fortunately, we are technically an international airport because we've got some flights to Canada. So you price your local airport and then you price your major metropolitan areas that are within easy driving distance.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: then you price the ones that are in uncomfortable driving distance. Like sh- for me, that would be Chicago and Atlanta. Those are both about six, seven hours apart. I was going to say, because I'm from
0: Cincinnati, which is an hour and a half from you, closer mm-hmm. to Chicago, basically. Mm-hmm. And the idea of driving to Chicago for a flight, mm-hmm. that, it's a long way. Yes.
1: <laughs> yes, it is. In fact, the, the part of the reason I quit going to auditions in Chicago, because trying to do it on the cheap, I would drive up, do the audition and drive back on the same day. And I did that for a couple of years and I just got exhausted. That's mm-hmm. awful. And my auditions weren't even that good because I was exhausted. Anyway, so yes, it's a haul. But if I'm going to save several hundred dollars, maybe I'll figure it out. Oh, so anyway, then I price. What if I were to get it? Maybe I could find a cheap flight to New York or Boston or DC. Maybe the flight would be cheaper there. So the flights out of New York, Boston, DC were significantly cheaper, but getting to Washington, (laughs) New York, or Boston was more than what I would have saved. So I'm flying out of Louisville, which makes it a lot easier, especially when you come back into town after 17 hours on a flight. Right, The time change and everything makes a lot nicer when you're coming back into your town. Yeah. So it's a long distance to to travel. And you've got all of the rigmarole, all of my electronics that I need to use for the show because I'm bringing my own mixing board and a couple Uh of mics. And so I need to plug in a mixing board and um, my laptop can run off of battery power, so I don't necessarily need to plug it in, but I don't love the idea of running a show off of an unplugged in laptop. Mm-hmm. So I've got these two major electronics that need to get plugged in. And of course, we have different plugs, different voltage, and the mixer in particular, you don't I can't afford to blow it, literally blow the fuse or whatever. So I need to make sure I have a step up down com- transformer converter. So it's not just your traditional travel plug because it's a heavy duty appliance essentially. So there's been this, how do I figure that out? Do I just source it there? I don't want to entrust anything to baggage handling for concern of it getting banged up and also for concern of it not making its way to me when I need to, especially because I'm going through Amsterdam and they've had a lot of problems in their airport. In fact, the other day, there was a notification on the website for my airline that the baggage handling, some sort of machinery was broken at Schiphol, And so customers would only be allowed to bring on hand baggage. Oh, But I was planning to do only carry on anyway. So I've got a pack for 47 days in my backpack, which is fine. I've done that before. But then anything I need for my show, I have to put in this other backpack that I bought for my mixer. So yeah, in terms of bringing something from the States, there's just all of these little logistics that are dangling all over that you've got to pull together. And especially me, I'm a fully solo operation. I'm producing it, I'm writing it, I'm performing it, I'm marketing it, I'm blah, 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 blah. So it's, it's a lot for one person to do and and the logistics aspect of it has probably been the most overwhelming if/slash when I do this again. I have an excellent guide in the notebook I've kept of all of my notes. And there's so much that I can do so much earlier. But there's also so much that I have learned in this process that I just had no there's no way I could have known, for example, about these step up down transformers before I broach the topic of taking something overseas. So yeah, it's just mostly the challenge has been in the logistics. I think you should write a book about all the things you've
0: learned to offset the cost of the fringe. (laughs)
1: That would be an excellent idea.
0: (laughs) You can have that one for free. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So you mentioned all this equipment. Obviously, that is a huge challenge. But I think your show is really unique. Not unique in that it has equipment. I've seen people take everything from (laughs) hula hoops to... I know I was on a bus with lots of hula hoops one year. Oh my Um, gosh. (laughs) We're taking a surfboard on the train, which is currently booked under a bike reservation because I originally was thinking about taking a bike, but we actually need a surfboard. So the show is Moment in America. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to just say what kind of you have around the show. It's a live audio drama Mm -hmm. seeking a deeper conversation. Can we find more that unites us than what divides us? Featuring ever changing vignettes drawn from real stories and current events. Clearly, this is not your traditional stand up comedy live performance, theater show. Tell me, what does this mean? <laughs> what is this moment in America?
1: It's funny. It started as an idea for a one-person show. And be- because I've had Swamp Witch Studio as a way to produce audio drama for so many years, I've just, I really fell in love with that form, especially as a writer and performer. I just enjoy the the elasticity of it. and But I also love live performance. And I love film as well. I really do love every part of it. But in terms of being a creator, I've just really enjoyed the audio production. Back in January 2020, cast your minds back before (laughs) the craziness of COVID to the craziness of Trump's first impeachment hearing. And his attorneys in that trial in the Senate were saying some of the most outrageous things that essentially boiled down to the president can do whatever the hell he wants And so that's why he shouldn't be impeached. And I was.
0: (laughs) Your dog does not agree.
1: (laughs) Or Winston is being walked. There's a dog two doors, three doors down named Winston.
0: Oh, no, I think your dog heard Trump and that was it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so Trump's first impeachment, the lawyers were saying these crazy things. And I was driving in my car, listening to NPR, as I do, listening to the impeachment hearing. Hearing some of these ridiculous statements that were being made in this sort of almost Southern Baptist preacher style, and I grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, so deeper in the South, and I grew up in a Chattanooga itself at the time anyway was very conservative. I'm slowing down because actually I think it's still pretty conservative. But anyway, everybody I knew went to church. A lot of people were Southern Baptist. Anyway, all of this to say that the cadence and the style of speech, this big bombastic sort of, how can you even? imagine that this wouldn't be allowed. The style that they were speaking in, first of all, a little PTSD to some of the those rural southern preachers that just grate on my nerves, which no shade to like, not criticizing the religion so much as there's just a style of speaking that and actually I'm addressing this in the show, that the way it treats how or where women and sit in society just does not jive with my worldview. And if we disagree on that, that's fine. But.
0: I don't think we will.
1: <laughs> not but you anyway. and I won't, but the, the, <laughs> I was going to say that, yeah, that I don't want to disrespect anybody's beliefs. But there, there is a style of speaking that a lot of politicians have that just grates on my nerves because it's this, oh, come on now, sweetheart, honey. Yes. Anyway, so I'm listening to Trump's lawyers and I'm thinking, this is ridiculous. I'll bet if somebody just took this transcript and read it like they're reading a news report rather than having all of this performance around it, people would, it would be revealed how ridiculous it is, what they're saying. And so that was the seed actually of this moment in America. Let's do this one woman show where we take some of these ridiculous things that we're hearing and we read them almost like a news report. And so it wasn't a fully formed idea, but that's where it started. And then of course the pandemic hit. And but by by then I was by March a couple of months later I'm really invested in this idea of, and I feel like we need to find a way to to talk to one another outside of all of this like crazy rhetoric and the hot takes that we see online and so the idea developed over time into what, which is the launch of this it, this moment in America it's yes this show but it's also a project so there are workshops that are associated with it, that people can bring into their space. And it's basically a writing to heal workshop where we work over the course of a weekend to identify an experience that you've had a moment in your life that we want to, what do you want to share with people about that, that, that might reveal something about how you feel in a way that you think might help somebody else understand better the perspective that you hold on life. And so that's the workshop. And Eventually, the show will very much be fed from the stories that are coming out of the workshop. And I had hoped actually to launch the workshops first and a variety of life events have prevented that from happening. So it's one person show and I've got my mixer. I've got a couple of mics and I've got a mic on the audience too, because I'm live recording everything and portions of the performances will be released on the podcast feed. The podcast is called Night Owl Theater. So Swamp Witch Studio produces Night Owl Theater. And this is a project that is being funneled into that podcast feed, the audio only component of it anyway. That's what you'll see is just there's not a lot of flash in terms of what's on stage except for me and i am (laughs) in a blue outfit and i've even found like blue satin ballet slippers that match the blue pants so
0: excited about that
1: and a red belt so because i was trying to think when i was developing the concept for the costume okay I don't have much for the audience to look at, and I'm going to be behind a lot of equipment. So, what mm-hmm. addressing? What does that need to be? But anyway, so that's what you're going to see, and then what you'll hear are the I've been I, the way it's been written is into these beats. So these beats, which are anywhere from two to five pages, which is going to be anywhere from five to 10 minutes per beat. Some of them are probably a little bit shorter. So each of these beats can be pulled out and interchanged with other beats that either get written or some of these beats might get pulled out to help knit a narrative together that tries to capture where are we right now in our national consciousness and the conversations that we're having, what's bubbling up. So right now there's a lot around January 6th and the Trump hangover, if you will, dealing with where we are because of all of that, because we've had the committee hearings. Mm-hmm. And so that's very much in the news. And also the Supreme Court blowing things up at the end of the summer with telling states that they can't decide who carries a gun, but they can decide who has to carry a baby. Again, I don't care what any individual believes about abortion. That's your right to believe that. But it's also another person's right to believe what they believe. And we're allowed to disagree about that, but So I do have a perspective and it's been interesting developing the show because initially I thought the show isn't going to be any different for the Edinburgh audiences than it necessarily will be for the American audiences. And then I realized as I'm writing some of the shorthand that I'm using, some of the references that I'm using initially, I'm like, ooh, I don't know if an international audience would get that. Mm -hmm. I don't know how familiar some of these politicians' names are. To an international audience, especially somebody who doesn't necessarily listen to a lot of international news. Like, I'm very familiar with a lot of UK politicians because I listen to a lot of BBC and I also happen to love politics. And so, last time I was in Scotland, I spent an afternoon watching Scottish Parliament. That was fantastic. It was actually, as far as I'm concerned, it was one of my favorite things I did. Was sitting in there watching Scottish Parliament. They were debating that day on whether or not to establish a committee to investigate the fire at the School of Art in Glasgow. And the Glaswegian, there was a Glaswegian representative that was on fire. Oh, it was so fun to watch.
0: Not to be so much fun, but that's pretty much Glaswegian in general. <laughs>
1: But it was like, whoo! I, I wanted to stand up and applaud, but you're not allowed to re- applaud or remark or anything. You have to root for the politician. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was fun to watch. Anyway, so I don't know how familiar audiences would necessarily be with some of these things. So then I had to start thinking about, okay, so are these references going to read at least enough in, in context, at least? And then the other thing I found myself doing as I'm writing for Edinburgh is wanting to explain why or explain away. I remember sitting, rereading a portion of script I had just written, and just like this bolt of lightning, I am trying to explain America instead of reflect where we are. And it's not my job to explain why Americans think one way or another, but rather reflect where we are and, and try to... Present this use that the term sonic collage because that is how it is. It's like a collage when you think of a collage visually, you've got these different elements that come together and you can look at the individual elements, but then there's also an overall impression that you get of the piece as a whole. And so that's essentially what I'm going for, but in an audio format instead of a visual format, is that we have these individual pieces that will come together into a whole that present this picture that you can go away from the theater and ruminate on and meditate on and discuss. And also, I think it's, there there are a lot of universalities about what we're struggling with. It's not necessarily unique that we're struggling with differences of opinion and, and how we're addressing that. There are elements of that that you find all over the world. And so I do you think there are some universalities just to the human experience, the experience of being alive in a human body on the planet Earth in the year 2022? But then specifically what we're looking at is what are the forces at play in America right now that are bubbling up and maybe creating friction amongst people that we're sorting through as we try to figure out who we are because the as the script is right now, January 6th is the inciting incident because in my opinion or at least in the story that I'm telling for the show at the moment, is that is the moment that we could no longer deny that we are definitely in this state of two very different visions of America. But as things develop and as other things happen, there are other things that may pop up that change the narrative. So again, we have these beats that get interchanged so that it can constantly be reflecting back
0: where we are as we're mulling over who we are. One of the things that you brought up as an issue was the, whether we have a right to carry guns versus carry a baby. But one of the shows that I saw when I was in Edinburgh in 2017 was called The Gun Show. It has stuck Mm. in my mind as one of the best pieces of theater I've ever seen. It was, what was so interesting about it is it was a story of a woman and her five different experiences with guns throughout her life oh, because she was American. Oh, she had mm-hmm. very much context around guns and what was so powerful about it, or one of the many things I shouldn't say it as if it was one thing, because it was such an amazing show as a white woman writing this story, the, it was a one person show told by a black man. And, oh, and whoa, just even saying that now I get, I, my hair stands up on end because the difference in being a white woman in America Mm-hmm. versus being a black man in America and what that means for guns, is it made the show so powerful. It also was so powerful because it, when it came to the fifth story, every night, the woman who wrote the show was in the audience and the man telling the story would ask her if he could tell the story because it was so intensely personal to her. And even talking about it now, I'm getting like, I, I'm so emotional. I want to cry about it. But the story wow. was so interesting in the sense that I know very strongly what my opinion about guns is, but it wasn't told in a way that was preachy. It was a way that this is Mm -hmm. my experience. This is why as Americans, we have had these problems with deciding whether we should be able to Mm -hmm. carry guns. So I think that's really interesting. But part of the reason I say that is also, I think I remember on Twitter, you had asked for people's personal experiences with something that had happened around guns. How does that yeah. work its way into the show?
1: Although January 6th is the inciting incident, we do look at, <laughs> it's so funny, I go between saying I and me because it's a one person operation and then using the royal you and or r- the royal we. Eventually, <laughs> there will be multiple people. And it will be I do that a lot, too. I totally get it. Because I have
0: a company, <laughs> but really the company. Yes, Christmas. exactly.
1: Exactly. Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. So although there's a lot about January 6th around that it's also used as a vehicle to get at the fact that we are bipolar about other things. And there's a gun actually as it stands right now, because again, the script is constantly developing. So as it stands right now, guns beat is actually the longest one in terms of page count. So the for the Guns Beat, actually what I've asked folks to send in is the name, age, and anything they want to share about a person that they have lost to gun violence. And that can be they were shot by someone, that can be they were lost to suicide. So the point of asking for that is because in the Guns Beat, the idea is to have if you think of it visually, it's almost like a scrolling list of names, like the in-memoriam segment of you know award shows, where you you have this slideshow of the people we've lost over the past year. But in this case, it's any time period, who have we lost to gun violence? While these comments, conversations are interspersed, collage-like, in between the groupings of these names... To create this sort of push-pull of this is the result of gun violence for whatever reason. Again, it, it, might, be, it might be suicide, it, it might be that they were murdered by someone, it could be it could have been a gun accident. It's this idea cr- reflecting the American psyches that we have, as you were mentioning from this other show, the, the gun show in 2017, that there are so many different experiences that even one person can have with guns that, and it's so there is there is a part of the culture that is so imbued with guns i grew up in appalachia kentucky although i don't live in appalachia eastern kentucky is the heart of coal country appalachia it's where all those pictures from the war on poverty were taken and people in shacks falling down behind them essentially and while i grew up in a city in appalachia i could ride my bike out to my grandmother's house and i was in rural appalachia and just in that same stretch of highway would be some of those kinds of houses that you see in those pictures, these ramshackle nearly sheds, lots of trailers, that sort of thing. And so the experience of people who live in a situation like that, who live in an area like that, the the experience they have with guns and their reference point is going to be very different than someone who lives in a metropolitan area. And that has continued to evolve that understanding as My husband's family is big into hunting, big hunters. Like their family tradition is every Thanksgiving, the men go up to the hunt camp. They've got this house in Virginia, close to West Virginia. It's down in the southwest corner, Bland County. You have to drive about 45 minutes to get to the closest grocery store and the Super Walmart in Witsville. So they go up Thanksgiving, they go up to hunt camp and hunt. They don't get together and have a big traditional Thanksgiving dinner. So that was very new to me. And as we've had this huge debate on guns, I've also had those voices in my life, these people who've had very positive experiences where there's been a lot of family bonding around Mm. experiences where everybody was holding a gun. And so I'm trying to reflect that experience of there are just so many reasons that people have the beliefs they have around guns and that's part of the reason why it's so hard for us to come to an agreement for what that needs to look like on a federal level or even a state level. Because here in Kentucky, Louisville is the biggest city, but most of the rest of the state is very rural. And so their needs are going to be very different than the needs or the risks that we have living in a more crowded metropolitan
0: area. I really am taken with your, can you find more to unite us than what divides us? Because So many people are saying America is a failed experiment, basically, Mm -hmm. because how do you get people together that are so different and take all these experiences? Because like I said, the gun show, I walked out of it, I walked into it, like I absolutely oppose guns, end Mm -hmm. of story. Mm -hmm. Walked out of it going, okay, I still feel like there's not the need for this concealed carry kind of thing, but I really... I read it just made me think so much, so I look forward mm-hmm. to seeing how you tie that together because I think it is what does unite us. What? Mm-hmm. How is this experiment? It's still a new experiment, but yes. it's a really big one. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. how does that? Yeah, I'm sure you're going to have all the answers.
1: <laughs> oh no, well, actually, I hope what it is just some more. I was going to say some more thought provoking questions, but just some questions that maybe help change the frame around discussions about that because essentially where. The show, again, it started from one place, but where I am with it now, it's very much with the workshops and the show both. The idea is when we have people in our lives that we love, family or friends, and we have a disagreement about something, we can sit down with somebody and there can even be very strong disagreement and loud exchanges. But at the end of the day, you usually walk, even if you walk away frustrated, you don't walk away hating that person That you love. There's now, I say all of that, but in the back of my mind, like.
0: (laughs) I feel like a lot of families have been torn apart by some of these issues.
1: Yes, they have been. But there are still people who can sit down and disagree, but then walk away still friends or still family and willing to sit down around a table together. And actually, quite frankly, part of the reason that I've gotten super interested in that is because of how my own family has been splintered by a lot of this. Mm -hmm. And so, really trying to get at how do you still. Love someone and sit down and have civil discourse with them when you have such fundamentally different ideas about how life should work in some ways or how the country should work, anyway. But yeah, the idea is just to create that space where we can sit down and we can disagree and we can get to a point where we can at least agree to disagree and we can acknowledge one another's humanity that we've had our own experiences that have brought us to this place. And I think that's ultimately. What I'm trying to get at, just trying to create a space where we maybe pause and try to accept one another's humanity first and approach a conversation from there.
0: Can, why can't we all just get along? Yes. <laughs> yes. That's the question that's been asked since Rodney King days of what, the oh 80s? My gosh. Yeah. And so <clears throat> many of these, that's the thing. You're starting from a place that wasn't that long ago, but I just look back on these gun violence debates and I look back on these police brutality and even Roe versus Wade, like we Mm -hmm. thought we were safe. And Mm -hmm. there's so many things that go back so far that I think Mm -hmm. that's the other thing is I make the reference to a relatively new country and a new Mm -hmm. experiment. But these are the things that have slowly been tearing America apart for a long time. Mm -hmm. It's just now that we have things like social media that people are firing things off. Mm -hmm. So. Mm I'm really looking forward to these questions. And I hope. I think that's the other thing is it's. I hope that you can get this out to a cross range of people who really mm-hmm. need to be having the discussions.
1: Yeah. My hope is to do a lot of touring around more rural areas of America for a couple of reasons. One is just to create places to come around and have these kinds of conversations that may not be available in those areas. And some of the reason it's not available in those areas is because there's not a lot of culture there to begin with, which I don't mean... I should say specify arts to begin with. Cultural
0: institutions kind yes, of thing. Thank like you. the That's, money's yes. not being channeled in to allow people to come to these kind of spaces and do these mm-hmm. kind of things. Yeah.
1: And they don't even necessarily have these spaces. You mentioned it's such a big sprawling country. My family we did a family trip out west in twenty seventeen and took the train from Chicago out to Flagstaff, rented a car, and then drove up through, saw Zion and both rims of the Grand Canyon and Bryce. It was great. But one of the things that was so interesting as we were driving, man, I love a road trip. It's just these vast stretches, four hours, and there would be no buildings. It was just nothing built Mm -hmm. (laughs) for hours and miles. and, And even coming from Appalachia. It's still, Appalachia is pretty densely populated compared to the West. So we have a little bit of an issue in creating these spaces in the more rural areas because people are just so far apart, physically far apart. And so there's no way to sustain a, a large institution except in the more metropolitan areas. And so then that's where you end up having these conversations. So I would love to take this in an ideal world, actually, so, Ford has a couple of truck plants here in town. And as an Airstream is a US based, they're actually in Ohio with the just beautiful trailers, little camper trailers. So, in my ideal world, Ford sponsors the project by providing an electric truck and then Airstream has a new model that has an electric motor on it to help with the towing capacity and also to be able to park it without using your vehicle it's really cool looking and so, so wouldn't it be great if Ford would loan me an electric truck and Airstream would loan me an electric trailer and I would wrap it and what be happy to spread their name everywhere and so I'm putting this out in the universe Ford and Airstream I would love to to give you some love, if you would give me some love and <laughs> let me travel the nation, spreading the good word about electric vehicles and your companies, creating conversations around your vehicles sponsored by your companies. How awesome would that be, Ford and Airstream? But yeah, so that's my big, wouldn't this be awesome if I could just do one long extended road trip with an Airstream and travel on sustainable energy? That would be great. Yeah, there. but we have a lot of, we have a lot of problems and we're not going to solve them, quite honestly, in our lifetime. But I would just Oh, I just wish we could speak to one another more civilly and again, acknowledge one another's humanity.
0: That's really the crux of it. I don't know if this leads in well or not, because I have no idea what you brought for me today. But did you bring a quote for me today? Oh, my gosh, I really struggled
1: with a quote, partially because I'm so in logistics mode right now. But actually, as I was setting, I was a bit in panic mode this morning thinking about it. Okay, so two things. One is what keeps bubbling up is Julia Cameron's... Actually, I don't even know that it's her quote, but I found it in the artist's way. Leap and the net will appear. Because that's definitely how I feel
0: right now. Yes. I have so many questions about things that make you nervous about Edinburgh and everything else, but we'll just say there's a lot.
1: (laughs) It's a lot. It's a lot. So yeah, leap and the net will appear is definitely something that's rolling around in my head. Take a deep breath. It's just, you've done the work. It'll be fine. (laughs) But then... I remembered a roomy poem called, is it in this guest house? I even have it marked because it's my favorite. Or maybe it's just the guest house. So the opening line is this being human is a guest house every morning, a new arrival. And then it goes through basically how sometimes what shows up at your front door is not what you want and it causes chaos. And what you have to do is sweep things up and start again because there is joy simply in the experience of learning what you've learned from the chaos and having the chance to start again and have a new arrival and look forward to something else every day. I love that poem. And so that I think that would be what I would say as my quote that I would bring to the table today. And it's certainly a lot of chaos the past couple of years that's (laughs) That's run through the house and we're trying to figure out how to put the furniture
0: back. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. That I don't know, something crazy has run through the house. and. (laughs) Just have to straighten everything back up, dust things off. Yeah, figure unfortunately, out. a little more literally than we would have appreciated, but... Exactly, exactly. I really appreciate you coming on and chatting with me, Clara. I think that the show sounds so unique and interesting. Best of luck to you, I hope. It's a huge success. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, tell a friend, follow us on Instagram, and sign up for the Second Chapter Newsletter. The second chapter is brought to you by Slackline Productions, a production company dedicated to redressing the balance of women's stories being told and who's telling them with a specific focus on women 35 plus. You can find us at com and uk. Thanks again.